What's up and welcome to episode two of How Not to Summon a Podcast. I'm your host as always, Shini Senpai, and this week I'm joined by that man still stuck on level one, Jim. How's it going, everyone? And that man still fishing on level 22, Grayson. You alright, gang? And this week we are going to be talking about Sword Art, the first season, the first seven episodes of the Ironcrad arc. So starting with the genre, it's an izakai, or as other people might know it, a transfer to another world. But it does have aspects of romance, action and adventure throughout the whole series. The director of it is Tomohiko Ito, and he did the first two seasons. He's also known for doing a series called Erased, which is on Netflix as well. Really good if you haven't seen it. Has anyone else seen it? I have indeed seen part of Erased. I haven't seen it all. I've not seen a single episode. I'd highly recommend it. So the studio that picked it up was A1 Pictures, and they're known for doing Black Butler. They did the first three seasons of Fairy Tale, and they're currently doing The Seven Deadly Sins. Love Fairy Tale, and I love maybe not so much Black Butler, but I did enjoy the first half of the first season. It was, I think it was the voice acting of Black Butler that put me off a little bit. They were a little bit too British. I've never seen any of these shows. I know every single one of them. I've you, never you, watched You'll them. know when you watch it. They're so British. It's, it's kind of offensive. Oh, the stereotype. Very much so. Every single one's got a Hugh Grant accent. So the voice actors, I focused on the main two, which is Kirito and Asuna. So Kirito is voiced by Bryce Pappenbrook, and I believe all three of us have met Bryce Pappenbrook. We have. We have indeed. MCM, 2016. Yes, he screamed at the entire audience something from Attack on Titan Season 1, I believe. Yep, yep and I didn't right. even recognise it. So as we said, he is Eren Jaeger in Attack on Titan. He's also Red from Pokemon Origins. That one I know. Great, great series. Right Go there. watch Pokemon Origins. And he's also Meliodas in The Seven Deadly Sins. So the second person we're focusing on is Asuna, and she's voiced by Jeremy Lee, um, and she's best known for being Lucy Hartfelia. Love Lucy Hartfelia. She is one of my favourite characters in most animes. I have no idea who she is. She's in Fairy Tale. She is amazing. So a little bit of an intro into Sword Art. So it's set on November the 6th in the year 2022. And the creator of SAO is Akihiko Kaiba. And he creates this virtual reality world with a piece of headgear called Nerve Gear, I believe. That is correct. And 10,000 players log in only to find that they're unable to log out. And that brings us into episode one. That is not a lot of players, though, for a brand new release game, by the way, which is the most highly anticipated game for a long time. They even say that it's one of the most highly anticipated games. Also looks like it only released in Japan, or am I wrong? I don't think there's well, any reference to other nations playing this game. I don't game. think there is, but there probably is, but regionalised. You don't mix Japanese servers with Western servers. European servers are separate from American servers. Why would you have True. all of them together? I would say, uh, with the 10,000 people that you've got there, it doesn't make a lot of sense about how they released it, if you know what I mean. And I still don't get, of those 10,000, how many people are the beta testers? They do reference the number of beta testers. I can't remember how many. I have no idea. I, I don't remember around a reference. like 150 or something like that. Right in. Complainers. <laughs> Someone correct us. So we start out with meeting Kirito, and he basically puts himself into the game. Anyone going to do the quote? Yeah. What? Link start by any chance. <laughs> you got to scream it. No. Even though he's alone in his bedroom. <laughs> and the thing is as well, I will say this, time. It's so late in the day, so late in the day to be starting up a brand new game which has been released. You've got the already pre-beta, so you already have the game. Why are you not going on straight away early morning? It's one o'clock in the afternoon when he loads up. Probably because that's when the servers turn on. 
Maybe. Is it? Is it a weekend? Do we actually know if it's a weekend? I don't or think not? we know what day it is. No, I don't think there's any reference to a day. So he might have been working or chores before he was allowed to log in. Or... What was the date of the start of it? Sorry, Jim. Uh, November sixth, twenty twenty-two. You could I'm probably work it out. Yeah, someone look that up. Look that up. So he logs in, and the first thing he does is he meets Klein. And we have this whole scene of him teaching Klein how to play the game. This is a great way to teach us the basic combat rules of Sword Art Online. Klein's character is really cool as well. He is awesome. He Underused is like, throughout the entire series, but he is awesome. He and he's is, awesome in this episode. I hate to say the reference. He is bro from Gurren Lagann. <laughs> close. He is very close to being a bro. He so, even says bro, actually. I think he does. I think you're right. So there's two things that we find out in this little opening sequence with Klein um, is that there's no magic in this world. It's all based on weapon skills. Which is odd for an RPG. An RPG with zero magic is unheard of. I can't think of one. But I think that's the best part of it is there's no magic bullshit. Yeah, yeah, it's all sword skill. I think Akihiko Kaiba, if I haven't butchered that, um, I think he designed it for that whole reason because he wanted to keep it at least realistic. So... You couldn't self-res people properly like that. It is referenced that your reaction time in the real world has some sort of an effect within the game as well, I believe. Well, that's just unfair. Yeah, I so something about point... your physical ability on the outside world can affect your character oh, in the game well, as well. We're all fucked. So, we're fat as hell. <laughs> Ten metres and I'm already blowing these days, guys. And uh, so he also says a quote in it as well, which is a quote that I picked out, which, which I thought was really good, which was, he turns around to Klein and he says... Even though this is a VR world, I feel more alive in here than in the real one. Which I think maybe I've had a personal I resonate experience with that. like that. I resonate I've with that. Yeah, it's all towards his character building. So straight away, this guy is going to be invested in this world. I've had that with ESO. I've really invested in that game. Uh, probably around about 350 to 400 hours on that at least. Mine was DCU. I thought I, yours was World of Warcraft. I did play a bit of World of Warcraft. I didn't play much. I set my character to follow to an ex-girlfriend, and she just leveled me up. <laughs> Sheeny, have you got one that you really wigged out on? I would imagine it's Witcher, probably. No, Witcher 3, I invested tons of time and completed multiple times with different outcomes, etc. You get to sleep with people in that one as well. You, you, you do. <laughs> That's, a That's a Sheeny game. That's a Sheeny game. Fits character, that one, really. Yep. So leading on to the next bit, they both find out that they can't log out, and then almost straight after that, they get teleported straight to the town of beginnings. It's like a minute or two of dialogue before that is really well timed for them to find out at that moment. I'd prefer the guy that's all of a sudden going, what the hell? I was in the middle of a fight. What the hell's going on? And then he gets told and he's like, oh, well, let me just go and check quickly. Hold on. You're right. It is perfectly timed that almost instantly when they find out they can't log out, that's when they're all teleported. They explain it twice too, because Kyber says it, there's something missing from your option screen. And he points it out and pulls it up and it's not there. And he did that earlier with Klein and Kirito. They do the exact same thing. Why do yeah. it twice? Well, well, it's for the other players that yeah. haven't checked to see if they can log out yet, I guess. But we're not players. To explain it to us, we only need it once. We yeah, I guess he's explaining it to the to the courtyard, yeah, isn't he? I think to, yeah. to keep it the realism. Don't know. Yeah. But we could have had more fighting or, you know, something more about the combat system, something cool to look at. But instead we got an options menu. I'd have preferred no explanation whatsoever. Yeah, no explanation until it got to the courtyard and Kyber can explain it to us. No. Or them not even realising they can't log out. They're just teleported mid-conversation. Yeah, exactly. And then Kyber then explains. So I have a little bit of a problem with how Kyber comes across when he turns up as the Grim Reaper. I thought that was really unnecessary. 
It was gross. He came out the ceiling as blood. Love the robe. <laughs> I ju- I you just, would. I just think it would have had more impact if he'd have just come as himself, because then they would have believed it a bit more. Yeah. I mean, he announces who he is, so why is he, why is he hiding himself? I just, like, if I'd have seen that, I would have been like, oh, it's part of the game. I don't believe what he's saying. The only thing I possibly could say that would influence that is that he's trying to technically be the bad guy of his own role. So I could see how being a hooded figure, bad guy, kind of makes for the... And it's a cape as well. Most bad guys have a cape. So, yeah, I can see sort of where he's coming from. He's trying to be the bad guy of this world. But does this form of him ever show up again? No. We don't see him until right at the end, and he is just him, right? Like, lab coat and everything. At the very end, yeah. yeah. He, right. he, he also turns everyone into their real life self what 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 was the point yeah, in that as well like, i like that yeah don't get me wrong i loved it i love the fact that they all look exactly how they are and kirito doesn't change and neither does asana which is nice because they fall in love with people that they actually look, look like, like yeah. they're supposed to can we please talk about the guy that is a girl and then becomes a guy <laughs> the change the and is the, change. The, the catfish in it yeah the catfishing it is a catfish it's exactly what it is it's perfect so it ends with Kirito like believing everything he's told straight away and he literally the bit that I love is that he just rushes off. He's like this this area is going to get absolutely blitzed with players soon. I'm going to go to the next town. I'm going to get head start on everybody. It's the first bit of character development we see in a character arc. We see that he's quite selfish in how he deals with that. He thinks about first of all, he thinks about himself and then he goes, "Well, actually I've got this guy come along with me because I know you." Instead of being there and trying to help everybody, he starts thinking, oh, I can actually die in this game now. Is it not fight or flight, though? I mean, is he not being selfish, but more practical? I mean, anybody in that situation having the prior knowledge over other people would do what he did. Yeah, if he, Klein's instinct is to find his teammates that he came in with, we learn that literally a split second after this happens, which is that Klein explains you can't go with him because he's got friends that he logs in with. Kirito doesn't have that, so he's just running. I don't think it's strength or anything else, but a instinct to survive. I think it's prior knowledge, and he knows that he needs to get this so he can be strong enough to survive in this world, which is the first bit that we see about character arc, that he is thinking of himself. There's other ways of surviving as well. So Klein's way of surviving, which would be what other people would use, is numbers. The more people you have together, the more likely you're going to survive. And I think Kirito does think about that when he tries to take Klein with him, but then he realises, oh, actually, all my mates are back there. He turns around and says, oh, if it was just Klein, then I could accept that. But because he's got his entire group, he doesn't want to take on too many people and end up having everybody die. He would rather have just a couple of people die instead of everybody, which is the way I can see he is viewing that. Speaking of dying... 213 people died instantly. I think that is the bit that he needed to show, Kaiba. He actually does reference, I think he references uh, other players that have just dropped down. And he turns around and tells everybody, these are the players who have tried to remove the nerve gear. Yeah, he shows some news, news articles, reports. some news reports, yeah, of breaking news live all over the world. It is all over the world as well. He says world. I'm almost certain I see BBC C. You can see the yeah. red band of the BBC. It's very clearly the BBC News. Like, there's no mistaking what that is. But that means there was only 10,000 players across the world. Yeah, well, I imagine this game uses a shit ton of data to, to run. You can only have so many people per server, which means he's not going to lock down every server, is he? 
I'd hate to think how much it costs as well. Yeah. Can you imagine the price of an of a nerve gear? Like VR headsets right now are like three hundred bucks. We're gonna these good things are gonna be thousands. I will sell my house for a nerve gear. <laughs> my kingdom for a nerve gear. I'm not being funny. Same. I mean I'd be living in that world hundred percent. I'd put sell me, Jim. <laughs> put me in a hospital. I'm good. Let <laughs> me in a bed. <laughs> Moving on to episode two, this is when we find out that 2,000 players have already died and we're only a month into the game. And the first scene we get is the Diabelle meeting. So when they all group and they finally found the floor boss after a month and they all get together and sort of talk about how they're going to assault. Not many people go to this meeting. Though. There's no one. There's like 40 people there, if that. Maybe. You can't fill that Colosseum. There's like 10 rows of seats and a few people on each row. But when you look, there's hardly anybody goes to the boss fight. It's now, very true. Is there a limit to the boss fight? Because if not, why wouldn't every single player? So going back to the meeting, um, we're, this is the first time that we meet Kibau, um, who is there. And he starts talking about the beta testers and how he believes that they haven't helped the rest of the players and they're responsible for the deaths of 2,000 people. That's when the handbook gets brought up, though, which seems like a really important item that never gets mentioned again. Like, it's got an explanation of everything the beta testers know, and it never comes into the story again. It basically is there to help every new player with surviving the game. I believe the person that references it, the uh, axe fighter, I can't remember his name now, right in, complain at me. But um, he comes and says, this is about the first level. When he talks about the handbook, it talks about everything in the first level of the game. It's like a manual you get with the game. It's like the basic setup. This is the, what you need to know to get you going. Yeah, and it seems like the betas would have done it further and further because Kirito references that he got to like floor 11 or something. He didn't get very far, but he got further up and the other beta testers would have done it too. So you think they would have mentioned this more per boss fight but they don't this book never comes back into existence they never talk about the reason why they can't find the boss's dungeon because if the beta testers have gone up levels has the dungeon moved have they changed it since the beta test which is actually only a month after or before the release of the game yeah, I had a problem with this anyway, because it's a giant column in the middle of the world, and they're like, we don't know where the dungeon is. Saying that, though, remember there is teleport crystals in this game. So that could be, right there, where you're seeing the tower, could be dungeons. Could be all sorts of stuff there, but it could be anywhere on that level, and it teleports you up yeah, from that, the door. Yeah, that could just be the stairs that go up or Is something. it explained, though? It's never explained. It's not. When they're talking about the fact that they found the boss and everything, that's when you see the image of the giant column. So you naturally assume, well, that must be where the boss is. So why couldn't they find that? That's huge. And the beta tester should have had an idea of where it was. Like, the world should look the same to them. It really, really should. The, even the dungeon part should. You never hear anything that this is different until later on in the episode. So talking about... Uh, Kabal, what did you guys feel about what he was saying and what they gave as a reason? I don't feel that what they gave as a reason was, oh, this is a handbook. It's he ju it just shuts him off. He just shuts down completely. As soon as, as soon as they sort of prove him wrong, he just shuts off. I mean, he's an angry guy. He's just an angry character. But his point is he's angry because he believes that people are dying and they don't need to die. So he's, in, a, in essence, he's a good guy. He has a preset opinion of certain people in the game which also i think believe i believe that leads to what happens later on moving on to later on is the boss fight so we get to the boss fight and there's literally 
nobody there. I mean, you talk about not there being many people at the meeting. Why is there not that many players at the boss fight? I imagine people don't want to risk their lives. Like, the people who are confident with their skills or the beta testers will do so. And we know there's at least two in that room. We know there's two in that room. And there's the people at the meeting were overconfident. So I think that explains that the rest of the world is just shitting their pants and don't want to put themselves at risk. I have a feeling that this first fight is the one that's there to spark other people to realise that actually, yes, we can do this. And it is something that is achievable. I just find it odd that there's these devoted players later on in the series. There's all these sort of high up devoted players, but yet they don't come into it for floor one. They may well do, but actually we don't see that. No, I think we need to have floor one get out of the way for people to start pushing. I agree. And people getting stuck in this world and getting sick of it will then go, well, it's this or nothing. I've got to push or I've got to stay here and I'm done anyway. Can we talk about the fact that Diablo names himself a knight for no reason? Is he just playing a role playing in an RPG? I think the idea is that he does role play. Kirito starts out in that kind of way too because he's not the same person at the beginning of the episode as he did at the end it's a role-playing game and i think some people are going to be that and some people are not they're going to play it for the sake of playing it and you're going to get those that really step into the role and i think he's one of them that steps into the role i think it comes with his overconfidence because as we see in the boss fight when he gets clonked and he's on his way out he reveals that he's a beta tester so he's got this overconfidence Yes, and I, I believe they talk about it was a different weapon from what it was in the beta test, and I would have thought if the the room was in a different place, you'd be a bit more careful going into a boss fight. He wasn't simply because he had loot lust. Yeah, we it took all him. get that. It took him. We've all been on Warzone. We all get that loot he lust. Wa- he wanted that last shot. Because he knew exactly what was going to happen, whereas other players didn't. Obviously, Kirito knew, but... He went in for that last shot and he got caught out. I think as well, when they're in the meeting, he does set that precondition that any loot drops that happen go to the person that got them or got yeah, the last you hit. Keep your it's loot. the final strike. This scene also has one of my favourite moments in it, which is the hood drop from Asuna. When she's fighting and Kirito finally gets a look of her face, there's this slow-mo moment that is just well shot. It's brilliant. It, it's classic movie. Mic it is drop. a classic movie. That's Mike. The drop boy moment. meets girl, slow-mo. Yeah, yeah it's what it is. It's it, what it is. It's the first inkling of a relationship. It's the first inkling that Kirito actually cared about someone. I would say yes, but I also think we see that in the scene just before when he's the one that goes to Diabel. Yeah, I think that's him, his natural caring nature though. For That's slightly different. He does that as an umbrella for everyone and that never stops. But with Asuna, the time slowing down and the everything concentrating on her for so long i think it's slightly different is that that asuna (laughs) fuck me that scene by the way i have a massive problem with he has the potion doesn't give it to him right he gets struck down and he's there for a good minute monologuing with kirito like kneeled over him with a potion in his hand allowing him to just speak it's like just heal the dude it's the inconsistency of the series that we see there about death like it can happen instantly or it can happen after about three minutes of talking but why didn't he take the potion i don't get it what what's this know. sort of need that he had to push kirito away and like he's not a hero martyr like, but he kirito martyr. becomes a martyr he takes that in literally 30 seconds when he kills the boss takes the coat and then becomes the big bad, bad guy. guy different from a martyr 
they still see Diabel as a martyr for what he did, then you see it in the thing. There, um, Cabal starts saying to everybody, oh, he's a cheater. He's worse than that. He's a beater. I bet there's other beta testers in this room. He starts to see what Diabel had tried to bring together, which was a group which was going to try and defeat the front lines yeah the front lines he tried to bring that in kibal then almost in essence starts breaking that up almost instantly with saying oh i bet there's more beta testers all of you come out here and then kirito realizes i have to be the bad guy here all right but for this to work does anyone actually care about this guy's death does anybody give a shit about this guy's death Does anybody that sat sat at this table care no, no, that's the problem. None of the players cared. He never gets mentioned. There's no, there's no like grave scene. There's no, there's no grievance. There's nothing. You see that Kibal cares, and you see before they go into the fight, the night before, you do see Kibal and Diabel drinking together, actually talking, having fun. That's when you see Asuna and Kirito have their bread with butter, cream, cream. cream that's the one. I just saw. Cabal goes straight to angry mode that he did in the meeting. Yeah, but he, like I said, he already had a precondition that he hated beta testers. And this was almost like, I bet there's more beta testers here. Started breaking up what we already saw, which was the formation of the front lines. Kirito realises, I need to become the bad guy. Somebody worse than beta testers. Somebody worse than cheaters. I'm a beater. Yeah, I'm worse than those guys. In fact, those guys are wusses. You guys should stick together. He actually does say that in the thing. It, it, it does look good when he puts his cloak on, though. I, I don't understand the cloak. The cloak that he gets on floor one, he has all the way through the rest of the game. I mean, the level up system is not explained no, for items. never, ever, ever, ever. How does he not find a better coat to wear? There's got to be armor or something that he picks up along just the way that is better. Better, just something grander, Because there is fancier. a leveling system. It does get established. There are levels. If we want to talk about that then, it's called a cape of shadows or something, cloak of shadows that he uses. If you're thinking about it from an MMO RPG style, that's going to have speed. And what does Kirito use a lot of? I think he's just more worried about how it looks. I think he's purely going for aesthetics on this coat. I mean, you guys, would you not at that moment? I love a cape and that thing is most At that moment, yes. Later on down the line, I'm going to be looking for something real fancy. It's pretty fancy. I quite like his black cape. He goes out of his way, though, to get custom-made gear. Why is he not doing the same with his armour? Why is he not doing it? It makes no sense. It makes no sense from, from a purely RPG point of view. Maybe. And we're supposed to believe these are RPG rules in this world. We're supposed to believe that. It is possible that the armour does scale. I mean, it might do, but they need to explain this stuff. They really need to explain this stuff because they do it so well with the skill system that you're as good a swordsman as you are a swordsman. There's no... You're not going to get carried by the game. So why don't they ex- take the time to explain that with armor and bits and pieces? They, they established there's no magic. There's all these rules in place, but we never learn anything about what the levels actually mean and how armor works and how it scales or if it's purely aesthetic or not. Yeah, does it affect my gear? If I level up, does my gear level up? You don't find out. You never do. Okay, I'll agree with that. So at the end of the episode, we see them splitting up the party. Asuna and Kirito, they split the party after he does his little bad guy act. And it is an act. And it is a, it's purely an act. We all agree it's an act. I think that scene sets a lot of what we see later on in the series around Asuna and Kirito. 
We do see instantly, though, in this this scene with Asuna and Kirito that she sees right through it. She doesn't believe it for a split second that this is who he is. And also, for somebody who's so skilled already in the game, she didn't know that his name was on the screen. That bugged me so much because he shouts it out in the fight. is like Asuna switch or something, which means they swap positions and she takes the attack while he blocks. But she never once looks to the top right corner of her screen where Kirito's health bar is right under her health bar. If I was in this world, that health bar would be in my eye shot every split second, sleeping or awake. I'd have disabled that thing ages ago, and that would have been so annoying. If you close your eyes, is it still there? I mean, I imagine that... The- it is. Even when you close your eyes, that health bar is still there because it happens later on in the series. Kirito closes his eyes and he still sees his health bar going down. I think the scene gives her a naivety as well, which is fine, but they don't carry that on at all through the yeah, rest of the she, series. She goes from this naive, stupid girl to this kick-ass... The mons- naivety just goes out the window. Yeah, so wh- why away. why have this moment where she doesn't know his name? I, I didn't get that. That didn't need to be there. Yeah, I guess it's a, a way to introduce him properly, but we'd already it already done that. We, we don't need to see that again. The only thing I would say is that we never fully establish. We establish that Kirito is experienced in RPG MMOs, right? We never establish whether Asuna is experienced at all. There is a moment when they're ranting and raving about the beta testers that Asuna turns towards the other chap, the the tall one, and they give each other a little bit of a look when he demands that other beta testers show themselves. But is that a look for the audience to say that she's a beta tester or is she looking at Kirito because she knows that he's a beta tester? We don't know. So coming into the end of the episode, we also get this ironic moment between Kirito and Asuna where he turns around to her and he says to her, you should join a guild because it's safer. And that's ironic because going into episode three, he joins a guild. Moonlit Black Cats, my favourite episode by far. So four months in is when we find out that Kirito is in this guild, this Moonlit Black Cats, and he joins this guild because he saves them and they're like, we want you. And he lies about his level. Um, A moment that I didn't get. Why did he lie about his level? Because he's a beater and he doesn't want to be... He he wants to join this guild, but he also knows that beaters are not accepted by everyone. But as a player, if I was a player and I had a guild or even a member of a guild and we've got this super strong player, you're not turning him down. You're going to want that super strong player in your team. He's carrying you through dungeons. He's going to power level you. Just remember, PKing is a thing in this. And having a high level player like that who wants to join your guild might be a bit strange. Why would he PK people that aren't carrying good equipment and aren't a threat to him? He gets some loads of gold. But these guys established they don't have loads of gold. They're saving up for a house and they can barely afford that. Why would he player kill them? Once he's helped them get all that money, take it all. And I I would say they are quite trusting of this player, even though they do know that player killers are out there quite a lot. We also get the first love interest as well, which is Sachi. And she's definitely a love interest for Kirito. An emotional one, but quite a complicated character, actually. Yeah, for the amount of time she's on screen, she is so far above any female interest that Kirito has come into contact with. There's also with Sachi, they reference it, I think, in the bridge scene. Um, she's depressed and she's suicidal. But he, she he also... babysits her. That's what he's there for. He's essentially taken on this, this father figure role of, I will protect you. And he does actually say, I won't let anything happen to you, which 
we all know, doesn't particularly play out very well during this entire episode. And I think that forms part of Kirito's arc over the next three or four episodes. This episode is an important episode for Kirito's character to change drastically. So far, we've seen little changes where he still wants to do good in elastic bands. But in this one, he's pure good. He is doing the 100% the right thing and he gets punished for it. Apart from lying about his level. He's lying about that while still doing something great looking after these lower levels that are inexperienced. And he's lying about it to protect them. He's not lying about it to be an asshole. I get why he does it. I get why he blames himself, though. Um, If you guys get it, because it backfires that he, number one, helps them become higher level. Because if he hadn't have helped them get to that higher level, they would have never had the money, would have never gone on that quest. They get overconfident. You see this when he goes to buy the house and the rest of the team are left behind. The rest, saying, of the rest of the team are massively overconfident and want to go to a hunting ground that is above their skill level because Kirito carries them. Where he does try to warn them, but he believes at the end of the episode that based on his level, that's why they don't listen to him. He turns around and says, had they have known that I was higher level, they would have listened to me and they wouldn't have even gone in there. He may not even have been there for them to be carried to the level that they were, to get the money, to even be confident enough to go to that dungeon. Did they die on a floor boss, or was it a dungeon? It was a trap trap room. The trap room, okay, cool. It was a trap room in a dungeon, because he sees a treasure chest, runs straight into the room, door closes, and they can't use their teleport crystals and instantly all get TPK'd. Can I add, when they run in the room, Kirito and Sachi are actually standing right by the door, as the player runs in and the trap activates, and then they step in. Yeah, they're supposed to be the ones up front, which means they're get it. this is evidence that they are massively overconfident in their abilities. That's a rogue. That's definitely a rogue that's run in right yeah, there. Yeah, which means it's it. not Kirito's fault. He's where he's supposed to be. He's right next to the person he's teaching to be frontline of this team, and the rest of the team just rush. If that never goes well. We all know what happened to Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> if he'd Great. have known that this room was trouble... I personally would have pushed Sachi out of the room before the door shut. He has that time and that opportunity. If it was me, I would have pushed her out. But that comes down to instinct and timing and everything. Like, it's okay saying we would do that, but in that situation, would we do that? And know, it wouldn't have helped with his character building. It she she no. has to bite the dust she has to. for him to form this, this solo this, player. This team has to kick it. If that was us in that room... I'm going for that treasure chest. Straight away, I'm the one lust opening loot. it. Lust, loot <laughs> lust is right there. I see that treasure chest. I'm thinking either loads more money or loads new items. Did anyone else expect something more dramatic that she said as she died? Yeah, it was... Rather than th- thank you. Yeah, thank you, goodbye, was goodbye. it? Goodbye. Thank oh, you, oh. goodbye. I was like, oh, was that all she's... I thought she was going to say something like, I love you or it's not your fault. I or- expected it's not your fault. I expected for her to pass the blame to the team are not Kirito. I'm going to bring it a bit dark here, guys. She wants to kill herself, but she's too afraid to do it to herself. She even says that. So when they get trapped in that room and she dies, she's like, thanks, you've helped me. But there's nothing stopping her from going down to floor one and just living a life until such a time as somebody else completes the game. She says that she doesn't want to disappoint her friends, which is, I mean, come on, guys, we all know peer pressure. We're all totally down to that as well. I have no peers. No, you normally are the one that's pressuring me. You're damn right. I don't think I get peer pressure to the point where I'm going into dungeons that I'm not keen on going in. That puts your life in danger. Yeah, literally put your life in danger. But you do know that your friends are going to go there. 
anyway. I would imagine that those guys, especially that rogue that ran straight into that room, he's going there anyway. He's going to have a go. He got that team killed. The oh, one, yeah. The one that persuaded him to go because he was overconfident. The rest of the team were kind of umming and ahhing especially Kirito and, and Sachi, but he was the one that got this team done. I would agree with that, actually. Um, rogues, don't trust them. Loot lust again. How many times is loot lust going to kill a player off? And can we remind ourselves that they explained this was for furniture? He literally says, we can buy furniture for our house. He did it for a sofa. <laughs> That's a sweet rug they're buying right there. <laughs> so after the party wipe, we get the downfall of Kirito, the sort of spiral into this solo dark player that he becomes. I think this episode right here is the true meaning of Christmas. Better than a Die Hard movie. The Sent Nick scene for me is confusing because they cut it out. They cut Why? all the fights out in, in the early episodes. There's no big fight scenes after the boss fight. There's nothing. Can we talk about when Klein shows up? Kirito looks like he's almost willing to fight Klein for this. Oh, he is willing to fight. He explains he's willing to fight Klein for this. He's like, you're getting my way and I'm I'm doing you. I thought Klein killed that other guild that showed up. He definitely did. Oh, I, yeah, heavily implied. Like, heavily implied. He's just like knackered on the floor and that other guild's just gone. I mean, did they give up? Because I thought personally that he just wiped them all out. It never gets explained whether he does or doesn't. There's no armour on the floor to say anybody's been killed. There's no actual scenes of a fight. Is it a case that they turned up, they protected the door, and they were like, yeah, you're not coming in? It's not even a door, they're in a forest. Well, yeah, no, it's like a portal. It's like a yeah. barrier that is... It's a tree. It's a, yeah, it is just a barrier that he walks it's through. It's a Christmas tree. Let's make sure that we get this Good. right. This is a Christmas yeah. episode. And the boss is Santa Claus. And the boss is Saint Nick, yeah. I enjoy this episode. I actually watch this episode at least once. It's a good Christmas. episode. It's just, it's got holes in it that are so easily fixed by two seconds of dialogue with either we held it here and they ran off or we had to kill them so you could do this. A throwaway comment. Which would worked. explain why Kirito threw him the item at the end as a kind of payment for holding the line for him. The item. I'm just going to go on to the item. This item can revive a player, I think it's, is it 10, ten, to, seconds. ten, ten seconds, seconds after they died? This item could have been such an important factor later on in the series and we never see that item again. Klein probably used it. One of his mates probably tripped up, fell down a hill. Why wasn't himself. it used? Why didn't Kirito die and Klein save Kirito? At the end, yeah, I know, I know. Why didn't that happen? And then Kirito have like this debt to him because Klein follows him after that through game and game and game and... There's no reason for him to do that really other than he met him on day one. That item needed to come back up again. It 100% should have had this impactful moment in the series where Klein drags this item out and uses it instantly. That's the second item to do that as well. There's the guidebook and a resurrection item that literally saves lives. Both of them do that and both of them disappear from plot. I wouldn't have given it away. No. Why I didn't would've. he hold that? He's literally got people that he cares about still. He's still got Asuna, which he knows about. Why isn't he keeping it just in case? That, that is the best backup item you could possibly ask for. At that point, he is still a solo player. He is 100% a solo player. All right, then. Why not sell it? Because he, I think, even though he doesn't show it, he never shows it during the entire series. He cares about Klein. He wants Klein to live. So giving him that resurrection stone gives him the chance to... Does get, he show that this I far? think he was just salty. Yeah, does he show this this far with Klein? 
Because no. so far, all I see is he taught a new player how to use his sword skills, and that's pretty much his interaction there, with clients so far. There's some sort of established relationship that they seem to keep bumping into each other that we never see. Yeah. You do see him in the hunting grounds. During that episode, you see Klein, and he's like, oh, hi, Kirito, back out late night hunting again, are we? Oh, yeah, no, you're yeah, right. No, you're he right. does, yeah. And then when he walks away, and Kirito is like, yeah, see you later, Klein. And Klein's like, oh, come on, when are you still bitter about that? And I think he's referencing the boss fight on level one. So there has been a lot of references to him knowing about it. Again, though, it leaves it up in the air. You're, you're, you're guessing, what's he talking about? And I think then it, le- it never gets revealed. I think it leaves it up to your imagination. That's poor writing when it does that. Nothing should be left up to the imagination that isn't purposefully left up to the imagination. Even then, we're supposed to explore it. This is either one way or the other, and we're just supposed to decide by ourselves for our own internal law. And that's that's bad. That is not how you create a single law for people to have discussions about. I'm still happy with this episode. And I will still fight you to the death on this being one of the best episodes in the series. It's not. It's a good episode. It's just, it's got its problems. I really enjoyed the very part, last part of this episode when he receives the orb from Sachi. And she's, it's the suicide note from Sachi. Loved that bit. Did not love the singing at the end. I remember was, watching, uh, sorry. I, I remember watching the end of this the first time i watched it it was one of the first animes that i'd ever watched of a fantasy type and lost in another world and i didn't ever think that you were going to see in a fantasy world like this the emotion and the topics that were brought up in that episode it's a heavy episode there's no doubt about it and i don't think there's another episode that comes up that hits as hard as this one does emotionally not to build kirito's character No, no definitely not and even in the, the end, this entire series, I don't think there's another episode that hits as hard as this one does. When he, like, you can see and you hear it. Like, Brian does a fantastic job of just portraying pain when he realizes it's only a 10 second job and he can't do anything now. Oh, yeah, we all feel devastated. I think as well the animation from him coming through, the blankness in his eyes when he realizes there's nothing I can do. And I actually, one of the hardest moments of that episode that I found was when Klein grabs Kirito and just tells him to stay alive. And he says, no matter what you do, I want to see you at the end of this game. Because you know, at that moment, Klein is worried he's going to kill himself. So speaking of his remorse and everything that he feels, do do we get that feeling from the next episode? Because I don't know. I don't get it. No, I get that he's still solo. I don't see the pain anymore. But we don't have a time frame, I don't think. I think the Sachi message that we see at the end of episode three does affect what we see in the next one. He, I think he comes to terms that, okay, it was a bad thing that happened, but there's still more people that need help out there, which leads on to Silica in this episode. Episode four we come into, and it's arguably one of the throwaway episodes. It's our filler episode, the first one that we get. This is actually my favourite episode, though. Brings lore, brings a background to the stories. We learn about player killers in this one. We get another female character who's... Uh, not a love interest she's a sister she's a little sister yeah she's a little sister that they bring in again like any anime does the sister complex comes into we see the sister complex later on in this series we don't need a secondary sister complex oh, he picks up so many it's unreal <laughs> so we get the un- introduction of silica um and she basically kirito's there and he pops up and he helps her because she's literally on the brink of being killed so this is when we actually see um silica's familiar pina die and i think I don't believe that that should have happened. 
I, I think there mo- there should have been something different to bring them together. It's what brings them together. They had they had to kill the familiar to bring Kirito to her, and he had to have a reason to help her. Also, may I add, we only ever see one familiar in this entire series. It's very true. There's no other pets that you ever see. It's actually established that she's a dragon tamer. But we never see anybody else. And dragons are magic. And they said there's no magic in the world. Yeah, I think there's a difference between usable magic and some dumb pet that follows you around. Yeah, I think the difference... When you're saying usable magic, I think NPC magic is different in this one. They're fine with having dragons and all the high fantasy stuff that you should have in these worlds. It's a interesting concept to be using magic, but the players are not allowed to use magic. But do we establish that the familiars actually do anything? We only see this one, and does the familiar use... It heals. It heals. It, okay. it jumps in front of the first strike from the monster to protect her. So in, in essence, I guess they fight themselves, the familiars. Right, so it's used as a meat shield. Yeah. But we don't actually see it help any further. Oh, it helps. It cleans up that shield or cleans up that club real well. <laughs> Certainly wraps around that club real well. For me... The rest of this episode was uneventful. The whole journey to this, uh, is it a feather or? Uh, no, it's a plant, isn't it's it? It's a plant. Yeah. The plant, because they go to the flower floor. That's and right. They fall in love with this entire floor because it's just the a couple's pure garden. Floor. The yeah, couple's floor. Because when they floor. get there, there's just couples everywhere just necking each other. Yeah, th- this is a slow burner episode. And I think there's a, there's an event at the beginning and there's an event at the end, and everything in the middle is kind of just eh. There's nothing. It could have gone away. Something that they should have explored more into is when they're explaining that they're going to go up to the next level and they're talking about it in the room and then somebody's listening through the door about a listen skill check has a high enough level. Something they really should have investigated later or invested a bit more time into. They do this during the whole show, though. They go into little bits of details and then leave you guessing. And as you've already said, it's not referenced until the end. The only eventful part, the beginning, the end of the episode. Moving into the end of the episode, we have the bridge scene. The best scene in the goddamn show. Just Kirito taking hits on a bridge from a team that can't do anything. Literally can't touch him. He does the math and you see his health bar move down and he heals faster than they can deal damage. And he explains it to them whilst they do it. Oh, he does the calculations. Oh, it's so good. I've had that in ESO where I've been up against a guy which... Literally, I can hit a thousand times, but I will not kill him because he is healing faster than I can kill him. It is such a bad-ass moment. It's the real moment where Kirito comes across as this OP player. Yeah, his actual strength comes across, and the fact that him being a beta tester and knowing advantages is being shown on a on a, a system-wide scale and not just him knowing areas and bits and pieces, but actually how to level and it's the first time that we see that there are bad guilds and there are different types of people which are role-playing and i believe one of um angelica is a name i believe or something like i that. think so probably it's the introduction of the traffic light system yeah. over the, on the curses and i think um a very interesting comment that is said by i'm gonna say her name again again if you get angry at it angelica I just believe that she makes a throwaway comment where she's like, oh, come on, there's no proof that dying in the game means you die in real life. It's true, she does reference that. It's also the first time that we find out there's prisons. Yeah, they do say that, and the only time you find out there's prisons. <laughs> the only reference to a prison, which which would mean that who's guarding it? Is there a police force? Is there some sort of governing body that runs the country that sends these people to the prisons? I'd 
role player police officer in this game. It'd be a great thing to do. Is there a wage and how much is it? Yeah, but who's paying it? Oh, good point, actually. Hold on a minute. Uh, NPCs, prisons, is it a voting system? Is it a democracy? Is it a dictatorship? We have no idea. Again, the show leaves us guessing. Is it a mercenary guild? It probably is a guild that's doing it and they just enforce it by themselves. Well, we see that Kirito gets paid that guy's money, all of what he had left to get these people. Well, it's a hidden agenda, isn't it? So we we finally find out that that actually Kirito was using Silica so that he could find this guild. Yeah, she's bait. So talking of things that make people angry, uh, the actual lady's name that you see, uh, who's part of the Thieves and Killing Guild, is uh, Rosalia. Just to clarify that, guys. He was nowhere near. Nowhere near. We apologise. I don't (laughs) apologise. Come at me. (laughs) So the end of this episode wraps up with Kirito saying that he'll see her again, but he'll only see her in real life, which she doesn't actually appear again. That is it. That is the end of her in that silica's later on in the seasons isn't she no you never see her again even though he's like oh we'll still talk i swear she's in she's in elfheim isn't she she's got a pet still yes in elfheim but we never see her again in Ironcrad. okay he just promises he'll meet up with her again in the real world and then that i think they do in that cafe don't they at the end okay yeah no cool like a year and a half later he's like oh we'll talk again don't worry yeah maybe he really didn't like her maybe he's just using her you actually might he was just using it using his bait to lure out this other guild that we're killing people. Maybe he is an asshole. He's literally like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll talk again. I'll see you later. And then she shows up at the cafe and he's like, oh, great, cool. Hi. So we move into the following episode and the beginning of this episode is really important. So the beginning of episode five is when we get reintroduced to the guild, the Knights of the Blood Oath, who we find out is the most powerful guild in the game. And we also get reintroduced to Arsena and we who have is? that amazing tree scene. Second in command of the Knights of the Blood Oath. And yeah, she's climbed the ladder. This is actually the first time, other than a throwaway reference in episode four at the end about guilds, where we start finding out that there are a lot of different guilds, there's a lot of stronger guilds, there's good guilds and there's bad guilds. I'm also surprised that this is the next time we see Arsena. They try and establish this relationship with them, but yet we haven't seen her for all of his dark moments. Months. He has this whole spiral and she's not around. But that might be a good thing because his spiral is not something that probably would have attracted her. True. And the tree scene is the first time that we see that she's interested in him. Yeah. Whenever Kirito is seen with her from now on, it's kind of laid back. We need to rewind to the start of this episode. Actually, they're at each other's throats because Asuna is in charge of a raid on a boss level. And he says, uh, she she says, lure the boss to this village. And Kirito is against it because it's going to kill NPCs. I didn't understand this from Kirito. Like, what? why is he caring for NPCs? They're literally a computer program. They don't have anything. They run in a circle. They'll come back. They don't take damage. What's I think the he point? loves the world. I think that's why. And you do see that in the very next scene that he actually loves the world he's living in. Do we know if NPCs respawn? I think. Asuna does actually state... She says so, yeah. ...they will come back. You know, they're not real. We're real. You need to deal with it. She doesn't understand where he's coming from around the fact of... I don't understand where he's coming from. I don't understand where he's coming from. And to be fair to Kirito, though, do we know that the boss will attack NPCs? We've never seen it. We've never heard of it. And this is the first time we've ever heard of a plan. They seem to think that it'll attack NPCs. They never talk about this boss fight afterwards and what happened, but they just talk about the fact that she's in charge of it and you guys are constantly arguing. 
which is the only reference that we see that they have been in conversation since episode two. So going back to the tree scene, am I the only one who thinks this is instrumental and probably the most important part of the whole episode? It's the most crucial part of their relationship all the way through the entire yeah. series. And Kirito's attitude as well. I yeah. don't think we see a better start point and a more relationship building moment for these two characters after this. It doesn't happen anymore. There are plenty of relationship building moments, but none as, as important and as strong as this. The voice acting and scripting for this bit was amazing and done down to a T. It clarified both their positions. You could see the fact that you didn't need the later references to understand that Asuna was here just to get out, but Kirito was here to enjoy it while he was there, but he still was trying to get out. Yeah, I think he says the weather at this time is the optimal settings or something. Yeah, and then Asuna says, it's always nice here, and he says, well, if you think that. But then she actually takes a minute to think about it, and then she's like, well, actually, this is quite nice this weather and and then then falls asleep the next thing we get is her is him waking up next to her no no he's he's sitting on the fence but he's watching her sleep and she she actually says thank you for watching over me because we find out that people can get murdered while they're asleep they only have to press the door system they're not in a uh, safe zone safe zone yeah we find out players can operate your system with your arm while you're asleep and accept a duel and kill you And this does set up a lot of the episodes going forward. Yeah, and then going forward, we obviously have them not team up officially, but they're just wandering through town. They go for lunch. Yeah, they go for lunch, and we get the murder mystery episode. Which I actually quite enjoyed this episode. Nah. Nah, this this is is two episodes that could have disappeared, really. I think it was clever how they work it out and how it's explained. I, I get that, the whole life expectancy of an item... That was clever. That was well put together. The episodes are not there to be anything to further the story and plot. They're there to further the relationship of Asuna and Kirito. But I didn't get that from this episode. I didn't see their relationship bud into something it already wasn't. It was professional more than anything else. I believe you are correct on episode five. But when we go into episode six, the next episode, I think that's where you do see it change. Only at the very end. For me, the whole murder bit from episode... the Midway through and the end of episode five, going into episode six, I could not point out any standout moments for myself. No, no, there's there's lots of silly scenes in these two episodes, but there's never any fantastic one. Also, speaking of silly moments, it's the first time we get proper booty up close shots. (laughs) Finally, I have been waiting. And these are the two different types of anime fans that we've got. The ones that look for the shots and the ones that don't. How long we had to wait was agonizing. I didn't wait. I didn't need it. Oh, I you didn't fast forwarded, it. did you? You fast forwarded to those episodes, did you? And we get not just one, but it must have about four or five moments as well of close up booty shots. No, it's long term as well. They're, they're quite long time shots they linger. as well. They, they linger. linger. Well, you're supposed to focus on the guy's face in the background, but. Yeah, the guy in the background. Sod the foreground. Yeah, concentrate on a dude. No one's doing that. So so we move into episode six, which I had a problem straight away with. The chase scene at the start wasn't necessary. Completely unnecessary. I said it was it was cut short. It was either needed to be longer or it needed to not exist. He if the, he was gonna use a teleportation stone, it should have been either Kirito looks out the window and this guy just smiles at him and teleports away, or he genuinely has to chase him through all the streets, through the town, through the market, 
And then this guy meets up with somebody else and then teleports away. Yeah, trades a teleport stone to him they, and then gets away. They needed the teleport scene for Kirito to realise, I believe. Yeah, they yeah I get it. that. I get that. But the way that they did it was unnecessary. He either needed to teleport instantly or there needed to be a reason for him to run. But the reason he ran didn't exist. He could have teleported straight away, like Sheeny said. I have a problem. Um, the girl has a knife in her back, but she's laying perfectly up against a chair in that episode when she's sitting there she's sitting in the chair and she's sitting perfectly it's only it. referenced that they don't see her back i can't remember if she's actually laying yeah. back Look, she's sitting down and laying back in episode five she's resting against the back of the chair episode six is when they move her forward it's the only time i not, see a continuity problem it's not a real dagger yeah it's, it's, it's not a real dagger embedded in her back it's it's a fake item that just has a durability so it could have been a fake dagger so it doesn't have to necessarily be pointing out unlike every other game it could have just had clipping possibly um, i'm still not having that no it is a flaw but it's a flaw that again needs to be explained away because this show does it all the damn time the show also has the generic bad guy at the end of episode six yeah when you are oh, you get he goes from something that looks really sweet and innocent to having the art style of a bad guy. Yeah, gaunt, pale. His like. entire colour palette changes when you learn he's a bad guy. Why? Just keep him looking sweet and innocent and just change the dude's voice. The voice acting should carry this moment, not the art. I did like the fact that he was a bitter husband. Yeah, the, the arc was cool and how they explained the, the items and everything else was... Again, it's great storytelling. Unnecessary. The shared storage bit yeah, was a good bit. Fantastic how they explained it all. Unnecessary, but cool, because it never comes up again, except for when Kirito and Asuna discuss it, but we don't get anything from it. But apart from that, like it's just a good, well-written story that you could have implanted in any show ever. It didn't have to be here. The only thing I don't understand of episode six is Grimlock is supposed to be helping them. He makes the weapons for them, but he's not there with them. Would they have not questioned that? That he, He's willing to help them make the weapons to trap the guy. I believe they reference that he, he makes them, but he's not happy about it and he doesn't want anything to do with it. And... Yeah, but surely he wouldn't have made the weapons if he wasn't happy about it. But then, really, he should have been there. If My first question for them would have been, why does he not want to help find out? No, because it's his way of trying to get the other two to blame the third guy. And to kill them all. And this is the first time that we see Laughing Coffin. I love the Laughing Coffin. I love them. They're underused. They they needed a proper rivalry with the Knights of the Blood Oath. They needed a proper rivalry. They did not show up enough in the entire series. Laughing Coffin is a fantastic thing. Uh, Having a death guild is a brilliant idea. A, A killer guild. Yeah ones that will just go they know they're in a game they know it's it's life or death and they do not care they're trolls they're trolls they really don't they're there just for the lulls however tattoo on their hand big giveaway yeah it was unnecessary i mean i get that they would want to mark their members because they're not all in the guild some of them would have been infiltrating other guilds or partying up with other people you want those things hidden but yeah the mark straight on the hand that is visible from a mile away was silly Cool mark, though. Wear a glove. That's all I'm going to say. Why do you need to stamp anyway? I I don't get the stamping. It just looks good. It's a way to identify the character. You've seen Fairy Tale, right? I get it. It's to show that they belong to this thing. But when you're a killer guild, the last thing I want is a distinguishing feature that is different from everybody else. Oh, like a giant snake or something on your arm. I say this. Their curse is going to be red anyway. 
So regardless of a tattoo, they're going to show up as a red player killer. I don't think they're hanging around towns. And wouldn't care if they had a tattoo. Thinking about these people going into towns, actually, they wouldn't be able to kill people, but they'd be able to beat up quite a lot of people. That's all I'm saying. You can battle in town. It's established. You can fight in town. You can duel, but you can't kill. This is what they establish in it. They do talk about you can do a dueling system, but you can't kill people. You can't because the duel ends as soon as the health bar drops below a certain point. It's a, it's one hit, isn't it? But they one major hit. You only no, you see that in the duel later on. Yeah. But actually, they do discuss that you can PK people by manipulating their hand, accepting a duel, and then literally just hitting them while they're asleep, and that will kill Kirito them. Kirito does say at the start of episode five, when the first guy dies in the murder mystery. He says the only way this guy could have died is if he'd lost the duel. Oh, that's right. Yeah, if he accepted a duel. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So people can die even in the no one-on-one In a zones. safe zone. Yes, as long as it's accepted as a duel. This would really worry me if I was in this game. Now, you couldn't even be safe when you're asleep. Yeah. Technically. From from what they've said here, even if you're in a safe zone, you could be inside your own room. I guess it depends on how access to your house or dwelling would work like if you've hired a room does anybody else have access to that room well we've already seen that if you have a high enough listen skill you You, can listening is very different to entering like it might just be an absolute safe zone which is why people would pay to stay so you mean a pick lock skill which is we don't know exists they say that there is unlimited skills in sao yeah but again we're making an assumption that's never established i believe once you buy a house nobody can enter that house unless invited you need you they're like vampires. Oh. Well, I'd never invite anybody in. You'd have to have friends for that. <laughs> I'd have one. <laughs> Your dog don't count. It's a guild. I'd be a familiar person by the looks of this. So the end of this episode has probably one of the best moments. It gave me goosebumps. It's the scene where we see the dead player and Kirito and Asuna um, witness her standing there. And it's also the first reference we get to that maybe death isn't death. That you're saved technically in the game. You are part of the game even when you're gone. And yeah, I your think conscious is your consciousness is saved to as the, data. Yeah. To the servers and to the drive. It's a great moment. A little bit cliche as well though. Oh, she's standing there, she's smiling as a thank you, you've solved my murder. Who cares? It's a great cliche. If if it's somebody said to pleaser. me if somebody said to me, that's how that episode ended, it's a bit cliche, I'd be like yeah, There's a lot a- of cliche things in this series. But you accept them because it makes you feel a certain way. But why then don't we see any other spookies come up ever? We don't. Why didn't the dude from episode one come back and be like, Kirito, thank you? <laughs> no, I'd prefer if you haunted him. Yeah, like, every now and then you. just be like, Kirito, you're a knight. No, I'm not. Go away. <laughs> just pops up and goes, I should have took the potion. <laughs> <laughs> I instantly regretted this decision. Why didn't you give me the potion? Just sits at the end of his bed every single night. <laughs> Sachi's there as well. <laughs> Singing. Oh, oh that'd God. be creepy. Yeah, that would explain Hold on, maybe... spiral into depression, could, Jesus. Because he killed the entire party, they could all be there. Oh, then a they choir. Have... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could have a full-on, you know, barbershop quartet going on as well. <laughs> so we go into the final episode, episode seven. Uh, for me, it's my favourite episode, and it's the Liz episode. So at the start of this episode, we get Kirito going into the sword shop and trying to find a second sword. I actually really like Liz. For a, a character that I thought was going to be nothing, you end up really liking her. I get why you guys like her. She's a sassy bitch. But I actually 
don't really like the episode. If this, if there's one episode that I said I was not a great lover of, this is probably one of the major ones. This episode's got everything for me a good episode of this show should have. It's got plot-driven narrative. Everything that happens is important, and this doesn't feel like there's any filler in this episode or storytelling for the sake of storytelling. Everything here is to drive Kirito to the next point of his adventure. Which is probably us. the only episode that has more humour in it than any other episode as well. Yeah, and some heavy-handed emotions. I think oh, 100%. this episode is just driven to emphasise the point that Kirito and Asuna, there's a thing going on between them. I don't think it drives that at all. No, you see it very briefly, but this episode is purely a Kirito episode. He gets his second sword and you're like, why does he want a new sword? Brilliant scene when he gets his second sword. Yeah, brilliant. When, when he it... breaks her Mastercraft sword. Yeah, that she spent like so many seconds making that sword. I think all of three seconds making that sword and it was a masterpiece. And he breaks in one hit. I enjoyed that moment because it was also, this person is apparently a master craftsman, yet they've basically made a glass sword. And he says it's quite light as well, which is the first time you get a reference to weight in this actual series. It does come up again, but I think this is the first time, yeah. Like, you don't realise that, is there a capacity limit on how much people can carry? You never hear that. Oh, more unanswered questions than Sword Art Online. I'm Inventory shocked. systems. Does that mean that technically he's just got a huge backpack, which is constantly on his back? Actually, he gets rid of his coat and gives it to her. At what? Oh, no, sorry, not Sachi, but um, Liz. 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 He gives her a coat, which is one of the only times you actually see him caring. Him caring, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how does that trade work? Is that a permanent trade? Uh, can you lend someone? I guess it would have to like be that? an official, like, passing a, over of an item. A he proper gifted. trade. Like, he gifted. Yeah, she owns Kirito's coat at that point until she gives it back. Imagine if she'd have just been like, whoa, this is an awesome coat. I'm not giving it back. Then she gives a monologue about being the bad guy. Yeah. And then she <laughs> walks off through a bad guy, through a boss's door. Speaking of bad guys, love the dragon as well. The dragon's a good scene. It's a good fight. The dragon poop's the best bit. Again, something else this episode had that the others didn't. The- a genuinely good fight scene. The moment they drop and Kirito turns his body and takes the impact of the fall, another indication that he cares for Liz. Yeah. Not having it. I'm, I'm sorry. Their, their whole walk in is just them talking and flirting with each other. And this is him picking up another person. The moment they're in the sleeping bags and they're holding hands, I felt that their connection was stronger than anything he'd had up to that point. This, this was stronger than Asuna's at this point. It was. And that's why I'm saying that the end of this episode was just purely to drive that there is something between them. Because Liz, at the end of the episode, instantly realises that those two are both basically at each other's throats, but it's more of a love-hate relationship going on or, you know, playful love interests going there. I would have liked that spoon-fed to me a bit more, that that Asuna and Liz Liz had some sort of understanding at the end there, but it wasn't really... I felt she gave up too quickly. Yeah, with no explanation. I would have liked an explanation. When they're free-falling through the sky and she, at the moment of the sunset, and she says that she loves him and everything, which, strangely, he loses his hearing at that point. And how do they die? How do they not die? We've already established that full damage is a thing. Full damage is a thing. We never get an explanation as to how they land. We never get an explanation whether they kill the dragon. No, you're you're right. No, we don't. They pick up the poop at the bottom, but we don't actually see them kill it. It grabs onto the dragon, the dragon flies up, they let go and fall. Did they land on the corpse of the dragon? Does this mean that Kirito's 
strongest sword is made of shit. Yes, he's been holding shit all this time. Fantastic. Well, piece of shit. Holding shit. Kind of works. I think when we're talking about um, what you're seeing about referencing or spoon-feeding a bit more of, there's a thing going on between Asuna and Kirito. We do hear at the start of the episode, Asuna is there. She says, oh, I'm going to go and meet up with a guy. And... Liz is like, oh, is this the same one that you've been talking to for a while? And she's like, oh, no, it's not like that. Nothing at all. Then at the end of the episode, you get the, oh, hi, Arsena. Oh, hi, Kirito. If I'd have known this was where you were on about going, I'd have gone. I'd have, I'd have come with you. I get the girl code that they're trying to establish. These two probably don't know each other in real life. If she genuinely fancied Kirito, she wouldn't have given up as easy as she did. She literally says, I love you. And then's like, ah. Uh, Goes hides under a bridge like a troll. I don't get it. I was genuinely disappointed that they established such a strong connection between Liz and Kirito, only to throw it away at the end of the episode so easily. Yeah, I didn't mind them throwing it away. Again, spoon feed it to me. And also Liz pops up only occasionally after that as well. Yeah, like the same as Klein and everyone else. They kind of just pop up and they're all together all the time as well. Like he picks up these this circle. Just add in another funny bit. The crafting. <laughs> when they finally get back, she hits that poop with a hammer a few times and a sword appears. I love the crafting system. I've done this in fantasy life, the Nintendo game. It's like whack A like four times, move it over, put it in a blooming cold water, move it back over, whack it three more times. Job done. This was even less. It was three whacks. Job done. Yeah, I didn't mind it, though, because it looks like an RPG's crafting system. That's what it's, you select it. You make sure you've got the mats and then you build it. I would maybe have liked a time period on it. Like you've got to wait X amount of time, well, maybe. But also, there's not a lot of ingredients. One. Yeah, one ingredient for a master sword. We've all played games and the master blooming. To get a masterpiece, you've got to have like five or six really hard to get items. And we only see dragon poo. That's it. Well, it's all based on the player's skill level. Everything in this is based on if you're high enough skill in that area, you can do what you like. Then why does he need this particular sword? Why won't any sword do? He wants a master craft sword. I have a question. What makes a master craft sword then? So, a master crafter. But why is it different from any other sword that that person makes? Because of the materials used. Right, but if it's purely a skill-based system, why does the materials matter? Surely a sword made of glass is still as good as one made of dragon poop. I have a question. If it's purely based on skill. Maybe it's based on item durability as well. There is an item durability. We established that in the murder episodes. I have a question that needs answering. We've established there's dragon poop. Does that mean that the human players have to shit as well? No, I doubt it. I just because that's just if an so, monster thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's purely for an item drop. Does that mean that there are no toilets in Sao? You never see one. There wouldn't be a need. That's weird. However, they do eat. They eat, which means they would require poop. But is eating purely for a stat boost? Mm. Is or is it, it just enjoyment? They keep can their taste. stats up and they can taste stuff, put health back up. We don't actually establish that food does anything to their health. I think no. it's just purely for pleasure. I think it's, it's a pleasure thing. There is just... But then why would it be a crafting system? Why would you dump time into it? It's got to provide some sort of boost somewhere. Stat boost, strength boost, speed boost, something to pay based on what you eat. That or it's just a bonus that was placed into the game. Another inkling of like, this is real life. You know, when you go into the game and put this nerve gear on you can taste and feel everything to show off 
basically. Okay, yeah. fair play. I All think right. still indigestion is a thing. I'm saying it right here, right now. There are toilets in SAO. Somebody is having to plumb those toilets. You're obsessed with toilets. All I'm saying is there's dragon poo. Can you make a human sword shit? Can you make a human sword shit? Can Personally, you make... I can't, no. If you scare it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you make a sword out of human shit? S- squeeze it hard enough, yeah. I guess only certain things can be crafted. They don't establish this. You're obsessed. There's a lot they it's don't a establish. It's a material. You're gonna, you've, you've been happy so far to ignore the fact that they don't establish rules well enough and you're concentrating on toilets. All I'm saying is there's a food system, there's a drink system, that should be an indigestion system. That's all I'm saying. If you can make dragon poo into sword, you should be able to make human poo into sword. So finally wrapping this up... (laughs) Moving away from poo. Well, that was a shit episode. Is there any other points that you'd change or didn't like? I'd move episodes around. I think the Black Cat Guild episode three needs to come before episode two for Kirito to get his solo player status and the reasoning behind it, I think it would have been stronger if those two episodes are the other way around. I did feel like they rollercoasted him a little bit. It was, you know, I want to be in a guild, I'm evil. He elastic bands from being this massive solo player to someone that cares. And it's never it's never a long journey going through the motions. It is one or the other per episode. And it doesn't feel right and consistent. It doesn't feel like growth. It feels like two different characters at two different time points and in episodically those time points are in the wrong order. I think it's just the arc of Kirito is very condensed. It's very condensed into episode by episode. They slowly, as it progresses, I feel like each episode gets more condensed. They try to fill in more stuff in shorter time because we start out with episode one, which yes, barely has anything, but... Two things you, happen. You can't highlight a bad point about that episode. Well, two things happen. You learn about how they fight, and then you learn about they're stuck in world. Yet we come into episode five and six where they're trying to cram all this murder mystery stuff in, and it needed extending. Durability systems. There's ghosts. There's also the love interests between Kirito and Asun. Laughing coffin. Laughing coffin. Booty shots. Marriage. Lots. Oh yeah, marriage. Marriage is established in this episode. Yeah, they they do well to establish rules in the world hidden in these filler episodes they just needs to be more character and world building in these episodes rather than just having an entire episode to give us a few little points that aren't really hugely important the context of the world needed explaining better and they could have drawn it out as well so you're only you're only getting small bits of information each time but you're actually understanding what's going on you're understanding the world and what it takes to live in that world. Going for a summary of the last seven episodes, one thing that I would like to say that is probably the best thing that was done by the series, the soundtrack. The soundtrack in this, it never faults. It, it is... At all. Everything is 100% right with the sound of this this entire show. The animation and the soundtrack, I have no problems with whatsoever. But even ambient noises and everything else in this show are so phenomenal and so well thought out. And it feels like a game world and yet somehow you forget that it's a game world. Just walking. Just walking has a soundtrack which is 
through a certain area. Yeah, when, you when it's snow, it's snow. When it's grass, it's grass. It's gravel, it's gravel. And it sounds right, even though it's a game. And you forget that it's a game while you still sort of know that it's a game. And the soundtrack makes you feel. Yeah. It yeah. brings out the emotions that you feel in certain episodes even stronger. If somebody had said to me the ending of episode six had had no soundtrack, it would have been emotional. But the soundtrack is a freight train hitting you. It, hit it really you hard. is. Even in episode one, the very ending of episode one where he takes off and the soundtrack kicks in and he's running through the field. It's heroic. Heroic. Yep. It's so good. It makes you feel powerful. It hits every beat right. It did everything that Pokemon didn't do. The Pokemon movie made you feel the right things, but didn't give you any sort of lift or oomph. While this one gives you every ounce of emotion it can squeeze out of you because it is done well. It's well thought out. It's it's just a gorgeous sound. It's the only place I would say which is almost faultless. Bringing the soundtrack to the animation to the actual words that are going on on the screen between the characters, their voice acting. The soundtrack matches all of it perfectly. So it's time for us to chuff off again. All you summoners can join us next time, where we'll be doing part two of Sword Art, episode 7 to 14 of the Aincrad arc. If you want to follow us or have any questions, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at How Not to Summon. I've been Sheeny Senpai. I've been Jim. I've been Grayson. Bye. See you later. ta